Welcome to the World Art Now podcast, exploring the world through the material culture of its people, in association with Michael Backman Limited. Hi, it's Michael Backman and Sarah Corbett, and we're here. We've actually gone and chosen a piece each, and they're, they're both from different parts of the world. Both are made of metal. One well, Sarah's piece is actually, and she's going to talk about it, but it's from Africa. My piece is actually from Southeast Asia. And why we've chosen these two seemingly disparate pieces is because they're quite connected, actually. There's a connection, a common factor, but we'll talk about the objects first. The first one, I, my piece is is a box and it's made of brass. It's, it's, it's cast brass. It's, it's sitting on my lap as we speak, so it's not too heavy. It's got a hinged lid and four little feet, um, and it, importantly, uh, can be locked. I'm just opening it now, so you can hear... Right, now it's closed again. Inside there's nothing, it's for putting things in. Um, there's a handle, so you can carry it. It's essentially, think of it as a cash box. It's highly decorated all over with um, stylized birds, possibly garudas. Um, and uh, there's sort of like bamboo type motives and geometric motives. It's quite Islamic looking other than for the bird representations in it. What it is, is that it's a cash box from the Minangkabau people of, of Sumatra, from the Minangkabau highlands. But I'm going to talk about those people more, but first I'm going to let Sarah talk about the object she has chosen. Sarah. Hi, thanks Michael. It's um, a lovely piece to share there. And this is another. Um, this is, I'll, I'll describe how it looks first of all. It jingles a little bit. It's um, a series of pendants hanging one below the other. The top is a flared rectangle beneath which one large and two smaller triangle pendants are suspended and both of the bottom triangles and the middle one have a row of smaller triangles which dangle from them on rings. The back of the piece is iron and the front is silver which is also then further decorated with brass and copper. It's a piece of adornment worn by a Hoga Tuareg woman from the south of Algeria. And the symbolism relates to Tanit, who is a Phoenician goddess who still has relevance to many North African, Berber and Tuareg people. The surface of the piece has a design hammered from within because these are three-dimensional pendants that have a void section in their centres. And the adornment is um, based on eyes of protection and dots and crosses and squares arranged in significant patterns to Tuareg regarding times when they're sedentary in their tents and times when they're nomadic and crossing the desert. So, Michael, two very different pieces, mm. both from places that we individually enjoy visiting and enjoy Absolutely. the history. Mm-hmm. So, how are they connected? Well, okay, there's a, there's a basic connection between them um, and, and a commonality, and then there's something more interesting. The first thing is that both the Minangkabau people and the Tuareg are Muslims. They are. They are indeed. So we've got the Muslim Minangkabau of Sumatra, 
the Tuareg from um, sub-Saharan Africa. And, but the very interesting thing about both of these groups is that they're both matrilineal. So they are. They are. So matrilineal means that essentially um, when it comes to inheritance, uh, the family's property goes down via the female line, not the male line. And so certainly I, I'm not quite sure about the Tuareg, but I definitely know for the Mnangkabao, it is essential for Mnangkabao families to have daughters. Yes. And <clears throat> and it, it's the same for the Tuareg. It is. And mm. can I, is it also the family name that passes mm-hmm. through the female bloodline? Um, yeah, if, if they use a family name, yes, perhaps, but, but they probably uh, may not. Um, so the thing is, also with the Menangkabao, so, so is, uh, they will keep having daughters, and uh, sorry, they'll keep having sons until they have a daughter. So it's every Menangkabao family's dream is, is to have this daughter. And I've, I've told this story quite often, I, I think, but um, yeah, I can remember getting into a, a taxi at Jakarta's International Airport, and the taxi driver... Uh, said to me the usual conversation in Indonesia is oh you know are you married do you have children I was like yes I have a, a son and and so on and then I said to to the taxi driver have you got children and he said yes I've got six sons and I said well that's fantastic congratulations because in most developing countries six sons would be every family's dream and he said no he, he said uh, I'm Menangkabau and I was like oh so what he needed was a Waiting daughter. Waiting for a daughter. Waiting for a daughter. And he was going to keep having children until he had that daughter. So this is such a novel turnaround compared to what we're used to in most parts of the world. Where Absolutely you have, different. Where you have sort of self, uh, sex-selected self, sex selected abortion in, in China and in India and, and so on, and in favour of sons. But to actually come across an Islamic group where people are desperate to have, have daughters is, is really interesting. A little spark of a feminist something going on. <laughs> yes, um, very novel. And the relationship between mothers and daughters around marriage in the Hoga and the Tuareg people is um, very unique as well. The mother gives a necklace to her daughter called a chomisa, made mm-hmm. of shells and leather, at the point that she is happy to accept proposals of marriage. Right, right. from mm-hmm. um, local young men. Um, and the young man is brought into the family of the female yes. rather than the bride leaving to go to the groom's family. It's the opposite way around. Mm. Um, the unique thing about the wedding practices is that once the mother has had those proposals of interest the bride-to-be is able to road test all candidates privately in her tent for a night before she chooses which one she would um, like to accept as her partner. So quite a strong aspect of female control going on there all along. Right, right. I've, in uh, uh, Southeast Asia, I've stayed uh, with a Manankabao family in, in, in a kampong, the, the village, as, as it's called. And uh, Minang houses are typically, well, they're made of wood and they're on stilts. And um, uh, usually there's one big central room and then there'll be smaller bedrooms that come off of it. And at the back, there's a kitchen. And I remember uh, it, it was just a fascinating time because I was there and... Um, the men of the house were 
they, they, they usually had jobs like civil service type jobs and, and so on. So they'd go out during the day and then they'd come back. But they were not the breadwinners. It was almost as if they were given a job with the government just to get rid of them during the day. And uh, their, their job largely was to, to be barely superfluous of sperm donors. They, they kind of would come home at night and just like lie around, watch TV, eat, go to bed, and then go out to work again. Meanwhile... The women of the house ran the rubber plantations that the family owned and ran the other businesses, looked after all of the money and so on. Hence why I have a, a cash box uh, sitting on my lap, a Mananquebel cash box, which almost certainly belonged to a woman. The property of a woman yeah. and a business owner. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, when you went to sort of like a, the village marketplace and so on, it was all controlled by, by, by women. Women were running all of the stores and uh, in control of all of the money. And typically in a Minankabal family, uh, the woman has control over the family's finances and, and the man often won't even know. So a friend of mine who was Minankabal, he, um, he stood to inherit nothing because he, he was a son. And he said, well, you know, he was fine with that because that was his family's culture. He understood that. culturally how it is. Yeah. And so, in, in fact, when his mother did die, uh, his sister got everything. Uh, so got the house, got the, uh, the the plantations and so on. The mother had made an allowance for, for the son, but, but she didn't have to. Uh, no, it was just something... Come. She was being a bit modern by letting the son have something, um, <clears throat> by being a bit more equal. So so it, it's, it's such a reversal compared to what we would assume, A, for a developing country perhaps, and, and certainly for an Islamic culture. It is very different to mm. everything that we're led to believe as being yeah. the only way. Yeah. Um, I must also say that I remember, this is coming back to me now, the women of the house were noisy. God, they were so noisy. And I, think, the, I think that goes across all. Well, yes, yeah, so maybe, maybe that's uh, not specific to, to this culture. or, or to, But well, they were noisy and the men made no impact. I, I, I remember being introduced to them, but I don't remember much about them because they kind of in the evening, they just sort of lay in front of the they TV. They sank back into yeah, they, they Yeah, they kind of yeah. literally sank into the carpet. And, and whereas the women, were, they were cooking, they were controlling everything, talking about business, and it was just talk, 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 talk. And uh, they kind of barely paid any attention to the men. They, they really were quite redundant. Just one use. <laughs> yeah, what well, one use exactly? Yeah, I think it would be great if we could share some images of the pieces that we've discussed today. Yes, for those that are listening to the podcast to able to visualise what it is that we've been describing to them today. So there'll be a Pinterest board to accompany this podcast, mm. and within that, you'll be able to find images of the pieces and relevant images and a link to listen to this with the pictures to look at too. And probably some pictures of the people as well. Absolutely. Yeah, associated with these objects. Wonderful. Great to discuss some unexpected elements of um, pieces that we're both quite familiar with and find a connection there. Yeah, indeed. Every object has a story. It really does. Mm. Thank you, Sarah. Thanks, Michael. You have been listening to the World Art Now podcast in association with Michael Backman Limited. To hear more, visit worldartnow.com.